Well, it sure wasn't pretty, but North Carolina did the one thing they had to do at Notre Dame on Wednesday night to keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive. Not lose. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us. Coming up on the show today, we've got our Four Corners recap of North Carolina's win over Notre Dame, the shady stat of the game, and man, we got to have some bubble talk. How often do we have to do that? But you know what? We're going to because it's what we're all going to be doing for the next couple weeks, hopefully. But we start with the biggest thing from this game. North Carolina wins 63-59. to Caleb Love nails four free throws, four pressure free throws down the stretch to close it out. I frankly was glad that Coach Davis chose to foul up three with uh, six seconds left. Good stuff there. But here's the thing. It was an ugly, ugly win. The word ugly isn't strong enough for what type of win this was. But you want to know what the key word in that phrase is? Win. (laughs) That's all Carolina needed to do in this game was not lose. We talked about in the What to Watch For that it could be an emotionally charged environment for Notre Dame in one of Coach Mike Bray's final home games as the head coach of the Irish. All these different things. And uh, Carolina didn't lose. That's what they needed to accomplish. The opposite of lose. And that's what they ultimately accomplished. And thank goodness they did because Carolina could not, could not have rebounded from a quad three loss to the Irish. So, and interestingly enough, not only is it a win, but it's a road win. And I know, again, it's not a pretty road win, but it is a road win. And just the third one of the year, Carolina has now won at Louisville, which, you know, okay, great. But they won, and they won at Syracuse, and now they have this win at Notre Dame. And so you've got three road wins. And so you just, you take this and you say, Yikes, but it is a W. When you look back on the score sheet, it is a win. And that right now for North Carolina is what matters. Because you just remember we talked last week, survive in advance. (laughs) That's precisely what they did in this game. On yesterday's show, Coach Pat Kilby and I said that Carolina's magic number was essentially five. Feels like they need to win five games, either these final four regular season games and at least one ACC tournament games, or perhaps three regular season games. And if so, the loss can't be Notre Dame or Florida State and then two ACC tournament games. And so they're one for one in that endeavor so far. They won at Notre Dame. Wasn't pretty, wasn't perfect, but it was a win. It was a road win. And most importantly, it was not a loss. And that's all you can ask for right now. So would I and would you have appreciated a more aesthetically pleasing basketball experience on Wednesday night? 100% we would have. It was a woeful shooting performance from both teams in the first half, from Carolina in the second half, while Notre Dame shot 50% in the second half, kind of quietly. Um, 
but let me give you some of these ugly numbers. And then I want to just note a few things that I thought Carolina did do well. Here's some first half data. Carolina shooting five of 27. That's not from three. That's from the field. The Tar Heels were five of 27. They were 0 of 11 from the three-point line. Zero assists, eight turnovers. I mean, that's just heinous. 19 total points, the fewest in any half for Carolina versus an unranked team since February 24th, almost um, eight years or whatever it would be to the day. And that was against NC State. They shot um, 19% in the first half. That's the lowest in a half since 1980. The five made field goals is the fewest in a half for Carolina in the last 10 seasons. And I mean, just an ugly ugly first half that you want to not even you almost don't even want to watch the tape you just want to burn it throw it away and move on to a better day um and then notre dame closed that carolina led that half 15 to 10 and then notre dame went on a 15 or excuse me 17 to 4 run to close out that half and and lead 27 19 at halftime um overall some of those woeful things 33.3% field goal shooting for Carolina. It's the lowest of the season. The lowest of the season. (laughs) Three three point field goals. Two of 23. 8.7% also, thankfully, the lowest of the season. And yet, despite both of those things, despite both of those shooting numbers being the two lowest of the season, Carolina won. Speaking of threes, it's just... Too many Tar Heels are settling for less than awesome shots. You, they have to explore. They have to probe. We're going to talk more in a little bit. Can continue to work at getting the ball to Mondo, even when teams are sagging. I, I would like to see Carolina, because of how ineffectively they shoot the three, I'd like to see them have less than 20 attempts in a game. I mean, again, right now you're on the outside looking in. So, so let's do something. Don't settle for this. Don't settle for this. They're goading you into taking those threes, and I don't want to see it. Um, but all of that said, and yet, there were some good signs in this game. Carolina, I mean, clearly they had to score points somehow, and, and we'll get to some of that, but it was the fourth best free throw percentage in a single game for Carolina this season, 83.3%. Um, One of the things I talked about on yesterday's show was Carolina has to hold Nate Lashevsky in check. And they did exactly that. He only had four points, made just one field goal, only had five field goal attempts, in fact. And perhaps most importantly, because this is what he's really killed Carolina with, made zero three-pointers. Love that. And, And another thing about what Carolina did is there was a lot of times where either RJ Davis or Caleb Love got switched onto him. And they hold they held their own. That one field goal he scored wasn't over either of them. I think it was on maybe Leaky. I can't, I can't remember for sure. But like, and and part of that's Notre Dame not getting him the ball in that position. So nice job there on Nate Lashevsky. Um, I thought Carolina played with a little more pace at times. RJ in particular, I thought was pushing the ball more. I thought there were times when the ball was moving around better offensively not clearly not all the time but there were moments where I thought Carolina looked interested in that and did it well I mentioned eight first half turnovers maybe you didn't see this but there was only one just one second half turnover 
Um, in that, that Notre Dame 17 to four run to end the first half, Carolina had a 15 to four run to start the second half of their own. And I thought a lot of that was keyed by pressure, defensive pressure from RJ Dev- Davis, who got those two early steals, one for a layup, one resulted in a Caleb Love three pointer off of Pete Nance assist. And so now was RJ kind of burned and blown by in, in half court defensively? Yes. Part of that was his foul trouble. Part of it just wasn't keeping his man in front of him. But he did help key defensively that second half run. And then there were also some funny things that I thought happened. Those uh, just, I always, I'm always looking at little numbers like this. I, I mentioned that Carolina had just those five first half field goals. They made five first half, second half field goals in the first two minutes and 45 seconds, meaning. Carolina had as many made baskets in the second half in the first two minutes and 45 seconds as they did in the entire 20 minutes of the first half. Or how about this? You know, 19 total points in the first half. Carolina scored 19 second half points in nine minutes and 19 seconds. Less than half of that second half. They scored as many points as they did in the entire first half. Zero first half assists. Carolina had three assists on their first five made baskets of the second half. And so just, just funny number stuff there that, that you often see crop up in weird games like this one where the first half was so just abhorrent. <laughs> then you when you have any kind of turnaround in the second half, usually some of those numbers play out. So lots of fun there. Well, coming up, I've got the four corners recap for you, which includes what I thought were the two most pivotal things that happened in this game. One of them is going to be part of the four corners recap. One of them is going to be the shady stat of the game. All that coming to you here in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. We're at the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars that's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win just download the FanDuel sportsbook app it's safe it's secure and super easy to use and then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to three pointers made all sorts of great stuff like that plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. Once again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Oh, okay. We are recapping Carolina's Victory over Notre Dame on Wednesday night, 63 to 59 in Purcell Pavilion, the last game with Mike Bray as the coach for North Carolina. We are going to get now to our four corners recap and the shady stat of the game. As I said, I want to give you uh, two things that I thought were absolutely the biggest factors in Carolina pulling out this victory. And number one in our four corners recap is one of them. Perhaps the biggest factor in winning was the rebounding advantage that Carolina enjoyed and what they did with those rebounds. So let's start with the rebounds themselves first. Carolina dominated the glass 52 to 33. They had that plus 19 is the second highest rebounding margin all season. And I don't know rebounding margin isn't the biggest telling stat, but it, I mean, it does show something. 
Carolina has split up their, their 52 rebounds, 23 offensive and 29 defensive. And this is where the kicker comes in. North Carolina led second chance points. So points off of offensive rebounds, 23 to nine. That's a 14 point margin in that category. And so in a game where you're not hitting shots at a high clip, especially your first uh, chance shots, man, getting those offensive rebounds and getting those second chance shots and not just shots, but points off of it is massive. And I thought that was one of two things that was monumental in this game for the Tar Heels. By the way, speaking of these rebounds, three different Tar Heels had double digit rebounds. Both Armando and Leakey had 11. Pete Nance had 10. And all three of those guys had five or more offensive rebounds. That's kind of stuff you want to see. Oh, and by the way, our little guy, RJ Davis, eight rebounds of his own good stuff there. Point number two in the four corners recap. I still do not think there's enough of an insistence on getting Armando Baycott the ball. I don't think the team feels that urgency. And several things tell me that. And listen, folks, I know part of that is that defenses are sagging down onto Mondo because other players aren't hitting outside shots. And, and certainly that's part of the equation. But there is the ability to get him the ball. And even if he's, as we've said, even when he's not taking shots, just allowing him to make a play, allowing the double team to come, moving the ball around and, and making stuff happen. But the good news, the good news, let me start with this before I, before I complain about it, is that Armando had the most shot attempts on the team, had 15, the next highest was 12. And so that is a win. It still wasn't enough. Um, last night on the show, or yesterday on the show, excuse me, Pat Gilby and I said we wanted to see at least 15 field goal attempts from Mondo, and he hit exactly that in the game. So, so that is good, but I still want more. I'm getting greedy now. Um, a couple examples of Carolina not getting Mondo the ball. Here's two from the first half. There's a play where Nate Lashevsky was guarding Mondo and fell down. No one was around Mondo in the paint, and Carolina still couldn't get the angle to, to get him the ball. There's another one. Uh, Trey Wirtz got switched onto Mondo, similar to what we talked about with RJ on Leshevsky earlier. And instead of going into Mondo to allow him to utilize or uh, um, that height advantage, Carolina just wound up with a shot clock violation. No, if you get that mismatch, you go to it over and over and over again. Carolina couldn't do that. But then... You see the change, the beginning of the first half, literally the first offensive possession, Carolina gets the ball into Mondo. The, the double team never comes, just one step drop, easy layup, and he's off and running. I, I, there's got to be more of that. Got to be more of that. All in all, Mondo winds up with his 67th career double-double, 16 points, 11 rebounds. He had some great, all those offensive rebounds and second chance points we were just talking about. He had several really nice tip tip ins down the stretch. Um, so great, great stuff there. And, and then I think part that settling for, for threes that we're talking about, you don't settle for those. You get the ball to Mondo, like these two things go together. And so instead of like, Hey, I'm wide open. I should shoot. Maybe not. <laughs> 
and, and it's not even just getting the ball to Mondo. Sometimes it's a pump fake and drive, like just drive the ball, get to the rim, get to the foul line. That, that is where you're so effective. And that's what I want to see. Four corners recap point number three. I thought it was a, a quite balanced game from Pete Nance. One of the more effective games he's played this season, potentially the most impactful player in this game, which I've given to Leaky Black the past several games. Now, like most of the team, he was in inefficient shooting in this game. Only one Tar Heel was at least 50% from the field, and that's R.J. Davis, who was exactly 50%, 5 of 10. Every other Tar Heel was below 50% shooting to some degree. But um, so Pete was an inefficient two of 11 from the field and O of three from three. So I, I'm not saying that part in general, but he just did a lot of things that helped the team. We already talked about his 10 rebounds, had 11 total points. And in fact, scored nine of the first 11 disappeared after that offensively. Some of that's on him. Some of that's on his teammates. Um, some of that's how Carolina was playing, but, um, great right out of the gate for for Pete there getting things going but five for five from the free throw line and maybe the most important thing we've talked a lot not necessarily throughout the season but leading into the season at what a good passer Pete Nance is and Carolina actually began to utilize that a little with a little more regularity in this game on Wednesday night so for example um, I mean some of it was like I talked earlier about when uh, RJ was able to get that steal on that tip Pete went back to Caleb Love, who buried what was the first three of the game for the Tar Heels in that moment. Um, but there were, at, I believe it was exactly three examples of high-low passing from Pete Nance at, at the high post position in for a pretty easy basket behind the defense. Um, the first was to RJ. RJ had cut off a series of screens, got behind the defense, Nice pitch over the top from Pete to RJ for the layup. And then the other two were both to Mondo, where Mondo was able to seal his defender on like the opposite of the baseline side, right? Opposite of the basket. And Pete just has a good touch over the top for that and uh, was able to get it in to Mondo there. So, so many uh, really, really nice passes from Pete. Um, so five assists and just one turnover. The, the scoring was great. The rebounding is phenomenal. The f- making free throws at that rate, great. The five assists and one turnover might be the most important thing Pete did, uh, allowing Carolina to operate through him some uh, is a win. And a lot of that is going to be because he's looking for Mondo on that, which actually brings me to four corners point number four. I thought that high-low game is something that Carolina has ho- hopefully found that they can use and exploit and run it again and again and again until somebody uh, counters it or consistently stops it. And then, you know what Hubert Davis and company need to be ready? They already need to be putting uh, counters to the counter, right? Like, okay, so if they sag down to take that away, then the mid-range is wide open. Caleb's great with that floater, right? Get get Caleb into the lane. Let him finish in the middle. But um, – the, this high-low game was so good. That that play to RJ, the dump-off, um, Mondo sealing his guys out from underneath the rim, and Pete just dumping it over the top. Let, let's not 
forget what a difficult pass that is, but Pete made it look easy multiple times on Wednesday night. I'd love to see Carolina utilize that against Virginia's pack line defense on Saturday. Get in behind the defense. Mondo can seal it off and then dump it in. Tony Bennett's going to have a counter for that again, but you counter the counter. Love it. Love the high-low passing. Let's see more of it. Maybe that's a wrinkle the Tar Heels have found. And then finally, the shady stat of the game. I mentioned that rebounding and and second chance points, I thought was one of the two most important factors in this game. And then the other was the free throw line. I already said that it was Carolina's fourth highest free throw percentage this season, 83.3%. The Tar Heels made 15 of 18 threes. Now, Notre Dame, on the other hand, was just six of nine. Now, missing three free throws, that's not that bad, except when you're only taking nine. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that's not so good, is it? So think about it in these terms. North Carolina nearly tripled Notre Dame in how many free throws they made, but North Carolina only doubled Notre Dame in how many free throws they attempted. Notre Dame attempted nine. Carolina attempted 18. Notre Dame only made six, Carolina made 15. So the helpful way to put it, North Carolina attempted exactly double the amount of free throws and both teams missed the same amount of free throws, three. That's pretty cool. So Carolina made a living there. They've not been able to in some of their more recent games to the same degree that they had prior to that. So it was nice to see the Tar Heels get back to that, literally double up Notre Dame in the number of attempts and then uh, convert at a high, high, high rate. That's what this team has to do. Get to the free throw line and make it. Well, Courtesy of, by virtue of not losing. Again, that's that's kind of the theme of the show, right? Carolina didn't win pretty, but they didn't lose. And that's what they have to do right now is not lose. By virtue of that, they're still in contention for this bubble. Part of it's because it's a really weak bubble. And I want to talk some about that. And we'll do it in just a second. Okay, so the NCAA tournament bubble is so weak. And, and quite frankly, in a day and age where we have 68 teams that make it, it's always going to be weak. You're always going to be, the bubble's going to be filled with teams that haven't done what they need to do. And that's why they're on the bubble. And, and it's teams that might win a game here or there in desperation, but precisely the reason they're on the bubble is because they don't win consistently. And so these teams are going to take losses. Several of the other teams in and around North Carolina on the bubble took a loss on Wednesday night. And so we're going to start having quite a few bubble conversations as we get down the stretch here, because Carolina, if, if they can keep winning, you just hang around until other teams lose and and you move past them. But if, if some of that winning again is over Virginia and over Duke on senior night next Saturday, if they can do that, that puts things in a great position. So let me just set up a little bit, of, of who is around the Tar Heels right now, in case you haven't started really paying attention to the bubble conversation yet. So the way I'll, we'll just use John, uh, Joe Lenardi's from ESPN tonight in terms of the teams that are around Carolina. So what we talk about is last four buys. So that's teams like 61, 62, 63, 64, the teams that are slotted into the bracket without having to go to the play-in games in Dayton. So when you see last four buys, That's what that means. When you see last four in, that's teams 65 through 68, who are the four 
at-large teams that will be sent to Dayton. By the way, there are also four automatic qualifier teams that are sent to Dayton, the lowest four teams that are automatic qualifiers that make it. I do not like this. I've always disagreed with it. You're going to hear me say it till I'm blue in the face over the next several weeks. Automatic qualifiers should be slotted into the bracket, and all eight teams that go to Dayton should be bubble teams. That's just how I, I mean. I feel like if you have won your conference tourney, you need to be in the field. And I know there are arguments against that. Even some coaches will argue against it because even if you win in Dayton, it it counts as a, a unit for your conference, meaning everyone gets more money. So I understand that side of it. But just from a competitive standpoint, I think it's only fair to these teams to put them in. Anyway, so the last four in are the four bubble teams that are shipped off to Dayton. Following that, following the last four in is the first four out which is where Carolina is sitting currently. These are teams 69, 70, 71, 72 that are just on the outside of Dayton looking in. And sometimes you'll see a next four out. So it'll show like teams 63, 4, 5, and, or excuse me, 73, 4, 5, and 6. So as of the, the last Lunardi update, North Carolina is in that first four out. They were at the top of it. They've fluctuated down um, to the bottom of it, uh, or not to the bottom of it, to next as Utah State moved into that first position. And so the teams in the first four out right now with North Carolina are Charleston, a team that North Carolina's beaten. So that's good news if it comes down to, hey, head-to-head, Carolina beat Charleston. There you go. Uh, another is New Mexico, who good news, they lost on Wednesday night. So I, I know you want the teams ahead of you to lose, but you also want the teams around you to lose because that kind of – solidifies your position and then utah state who won on tuesday night but utah state still has to play boise state who is one of these other teams in contention so north carolina is in the first four out currently with charleston new mexico and utah state and again this is according to joe lunardi's bracketology just above them is the last four in so again these are the four teams that if it was true and and happened right now would be shipped off to dayton and right now that's nevada Mississippi State, USC, the Trojans, not the Gamecocks, and Wisconsin. So in terms of kind of what they've been doing, Nevada won on Tuesday. Mississippi State lost at Mizzou on Tuesday. That's good news. USC has won a couple games, and then Wisconsin beat Iowa on Wednesday. And so you might see some shifting in some of that when Lunardi updates uh, next, his bracketology. And then the last four buys, the team that would be 61, 2, 3, and 4 that are slotted into the bracket right now is Memphis, Boise State, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. And so in terms of what those four teams are doing right now, again, you want to be cheering against these teams, by the way. Uh, Memphis just lost to Houston, and then they have four more regular season games, including playing Houston yet again. And unfortunately, right now, Memphis's best player, Kendra Davis, is hurt and out. You never want to see a player down or out. But, it, you know, set that aside and say that stinks that that's happening. But it is good for the Tar Heels that it's happening. And then um, Boise State, who beat New Mexico on Wednesday. I mentioned that New Mexico lost. And then Oklahoma State and West Virginia, two Big 12 teams, which is a, an interesting study in how will the committee view these teams that do not have good records, but a large part of that is because they play in the Big 12. So Oklahoma State has lost three straight games 
and they still have Kansas State, Baylor, both at home, so that that's helpful for them, not for Carolina, and then at Texas Tech, who beat Texas at Texas Tech the other day. So Oklahoma State, if they keep skidding, that would be great for North Carolina. And then West Virginia, who won, they won on Monday, but they will probably lose two of their final three, if not all three, because they have to play Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State, who are all playing really well. And so you just, you don't know what's going to happen. And so here's what I'll tell you to do for now. Watch these teams, keep up with them, root against them. That's part of what makes life on the bubble fun and maddening and frustrating all at once. But the biggest thing that that Carolina can do, the easiest thing Carolina could do, well, maybe it's not that easy, but the best thing Carolina can do is just keep winning. You just keep winning because other teams are going to take losses. So Virginia lost at Boston College on Wednesday night. They are going to be big mad coming into the Dean Dome on Saturday night. And so you have to take care of business. You got to put them away. Carolina has not shown the consistent ability to do that. This is a game where you need to do that. You cannot let Virginia hang around. Kihei Clark's going to come up with some kind of miracle and something's going to happen. Put this team away. Do not put yourself in the position like you did against Notre Dame on Wednesday night where you got to just kind of sweat out some, some weird, weird moments down the stretch. That's what we'll be looking for. And we will preview that game on tomorrow's show on Friday. Make sure you check out the ladies basketball team in action tonight. Thursday, we'll have uh, some some recap for you of that on Friday. Heels of the week, a look around Carolina athletics coming up this weekend. And of course, as I said, get you ready for Carolina hosting Virginia. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels or me at Isaac Shade. You can email the show Locked on Tar Heels at gmail.com. Please don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button, and leave comments on your thoughts on this wild game. Seriously, subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Closing in on 5,000 subscribers. Just over 100 to go. It's wild. Come join us. For your second listen, check out our brand new podcast on the Locked On Network, Locked On College Basketball, where myself and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know from around the world of college basketball on and off the court. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. Hey, thanks so much for spending your Thursday, at least 30 minutes of it, hanging out with me, celebrating a Carolina win, or at least uh, being glad that they won, as opposed to a therapy session that has happened more often than we would like this season. want to remind you that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace.